are grateful you are taking part in worship with us. Um, as most of you are aware, churches are uh, closed down in lots of places around the country. Um, uh, in our, and uh, even, even within our own reaches, a lot of folks uh, are feeling a little nervous about being together with a group. Uh, if you are home and you're enjoying this on live stream, um, if you have a friend whose church is shut down, would you just share this link with them so that they can find a place where they also can worship this morning? Um, we'd hate for folks to miss entirely out on Sabbath blessings in church because they were unable to make it or unwilling to kind of risk it. Um, for those of you who are here, glad to have you with us. I would hate to preach in an empty building. I've tried preaching to empty before. It doesn't work for me. Um, I was placed in a, in, a, in a small studio with a, three cameras in it, and they told me, just go ahead and preach like you're talking to your church. I couldn't do it. I kept looking at the camera thinking, what do I say to this machine? Finally, after about 10 minutes, I started preaching to the cameraman. I, I started looking around the camera to see if the cameraman was paying attention. And so I kept talking to the guys who were paying attention. When they would get distracted by something, I'd look at a different camera. I don't know which camera I was supposed to be looking at. I just decided they can follow me. So I'm really glad you're here this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about Matthew 15, or Matthew 14. Pastor Tim was opening that up last week. If you're looking for the book of Matthew, pretty good one, pretty easy one to find. It's the first book in the New Testament. New Testament begins about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. You can typically, if you have one of these uh, old-school style like this, just flip through the pages. It's a pretty big book. If you get to Mark, Luke, John, you've gone too far. Just back it up a little bit. Matthew, again, first book of the New Testament. If you're in those little books, Malachi or, or Zephaniah or some one of those, just go a little further. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Um, if you're uh, using your device, it's M-A-T-T. Matthew chapter 14. A lot of things have been happening here at this point in Matthew. Um, if you recall, especially if you're reading through the Gospels and you want to really get a flavor for this portion of the Gospels, read first and recognize that Jesus' cousin... John the Baptist has just been killed by Herod, okay? And what happens now is you watch Jesus' movements. He keeps trying to get away. And you can see him. He goes across the lake, and a bunch of people show up. He cuts across the lake again, and a bunch of people show up. And he keeps looking for places to go. He's trying to get away. He finally ends up, for the only time we know of in the New Testament, he ends up outside the boundaries of Israel, actually goes to the Mediterranean coast, and he may have spent as much as a couple of months out at the Mediterranean coast. So those of you who feel like going on a seaside vacation is a bad thing, you have Jesus as an example that it's okay. Just don't do it on Saturdays. Deal? All right. So Matthew chapter 14, I want to pick up a very familiar passage. One we read a lot, one a lot of people have thought through, a lot of people have looked at, and I hope to, uh, to walk through this with a little bit of uh, a blessing for you in it. Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This is after the feeding of the 5,000, and they want to make him king. So the first thing he does is get rid of his entourage. He said, everybody in the boat and get out of here. So he throws his disciples off, gets, go, tells them to go get in the boat. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side 
while he sent the multitude away. So again, he's trying to get to the other side. He's trying to get away from folks. I'm picking up verse 23. When he had sent the multitudes away, so Jesus then disperses the crowd. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Everybody go on your way. We've healed everybody who can be healed. We've already fed you. Now scat. Or something like that. Verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of... Oh, sorry. I didn't read the rest of it. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. When the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Wind being contrary means the wind's blowing against the boat, right? They're trying to go forward. The wind's blowing in the opposite direction. If you've tried rowing into a headwind, it's a tough deal. That's what they're doing that night. Verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. These watchers are three hours apiece. Fourth watch of the night, it's almost dawn. They've been going all night. It was evening when they started. It's almost dawn when they get Jesus. And it is true that most of the time, the moon is already set by the time you get to dawn. And it is one of the darkest times of the night. And so I've always always imagined this story as one of those moments when it's real dark. Where all you see above you is, is stars. Just a black ocean around you. In their case, a big lake around you. And no moon. That's always been the way I've imagined it. When the disciples saw him, oh, and now the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out, cried out for fear. Verse 27, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. Jesus has to do this a lot. Jesus shows up in people's houses and immediately has to say, Don't worry, it's just me. Don't, don't, don't stress, it's okay. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. I love the King James here. Do you think Jesus said, It is I. Behold. I don't know. The King James has a way of making this sound a little more formal. He probably just said, Don't worry, it's just me. It's just me. Peter answered him. And this is where I'd like to focus your attention today. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. I love this passage. I love the temerity of Peter, who's not even sure that it is Jesus, saying, well, I'm in this boat that is at least relatively safe. I'm in the middle of this lake where I could die. But if it's actually you, call me to come to you. Tell me to come and I'll do it. And Jesus simply says, come. He doesn't show ID. He doesn't get out his flashlight and point it at his face. He doesn't snap a picture with his phone and text it to him. He just says, yeah, it's me. Come. And Peter gets out of the boat on that bit of information. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, would you go? Would you go if you didn't know for sure? Would you jump out of a perfectly, perfectly good boat to hop into the water Not sure that you could walk on the water and not sure that it was even Jesus who was calling you. I have a a pretty vivid imagination and I I have all kinds of pictures of what happened at that moment. But I just want you to go on that simple piece. Has God ever called you to do something that you were not sure if you should be doing it or if it was even God calling you? Because that's where Peter is in this moment. Peter is legitimately right there. 
he is, he is at the edge of the boat about to get out and he's not sure that it's Jesus that's actually calling him. And by the way, Jesus is calling him to do something that is impossible for him. I love this moment. I love the moment of faith. I love the courage that goes along with this. I love the fact that this guy has just decided, I'm going, okay, come what may, I'm getting out of the boat and getting in the water. So I want to take you through the story in a a few bites, a few pieces. That rowing all night part. Rowing all night. When it feels like you're rowing into a headwind and you're not making any progress in your life. You know what I mean? You're in that job, your boss, boss hates you, you hate your boss, and you're rowing against the wind. You're pretty sure you're not getting anything from this boss. You're pretty sure that you are not getting any help from this boss. You're pretty sure you are never going to see any improvement in your status from this boss. You're not getting a raise. Not going to raise you up to junior, 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 junior manager. You're just going to have to keep rowing against this wind and see if Jesus shows up. You know what I mean? First thing I want to say to you, if you find yourself there this morning, don't surrender to the wind. Don't surrender to the wind. Because what happens when you stop rowing? The wind just blows you wherever it wants you to go. And everything you gain is lost. You know what surrendering to the wind looks like if you're in that job where you hate your boss and your boss hates you? Surrendering to the wind is that day when you get up and go and yell at your boss. Did you know what that gets you, right? Fired and a bad report for your next job. Right? Because your boss is now going to send a note to the, anybody who asks him saying, yeah, not her, she's insubordinate. She's te- she screamed at me the day she left. She threw down all of her stuff and walked out. In the middle of a surgery, she threw the, ca- the, the scalpel across the room and stuck it in the wall. Whatever it happens to be. We were up to our knees in the mire of a plumbing mess. Ooze was flowing out of this house. And he said, deal with this yourself and walked away. Now that made me feel really good in the moment. But don't give in to the wind. Don't give in to what's pushing, what's pressing against you. Don't surrender to the wind. No matter what it is, no matter how hard it feels, don't surrender to the wind. Man, we are surrendering all the time. But we have to keep on rowing. We surrender to the winds of our addictions. We fight them for years. And then we just go, okay. I guess I'm going to have this with me the rest of my life. And we surrender. And we say, this is my normal. And we surrender. No, don't do that. If you're fighting a really tough headwind, you know what you need? You need some help with the rowing. You get some more people in the boat with you, rowing in your direction. If your boss and you were having that kind of a problem, you need to go find some friend of yours and say, my boss hates me and this is what they keep saying. Is that true about me? 
Because your boss may be right. It may not be that your boss hates you. It may be that you're a pain in the neck. I had a good friend. Hope he's not watching. He's a preacher, so he's probably doing his own thing today. We got together once a year. And when we would get together, we would have this conversation about how things were going. And we asked each other three questions. It would take us all day to get through these three questions. And these three questions were simple. How are things going between you and your spouse? And we, it was tough because these guys would cut you no quarter. If it sounded like you were just blowing smoke at them, they would get right on your case immediately. You would feel like a horse that's being spurred. And so they would just ride you until you gave the answer, until you were straight with them. We'd get through that one. Then we'd say, how's it going with you and your work? And again, we'd be asked to tell the truth and be honest and get it out there and be straight with all of it. And then we'd ask, how's it going with you and your spouse? We'll always finish with that, that uh, or how's it going with you and the Lord? We'd always finish with that one. Okay? So we got to, how's it going with you and your, and your boss? This is about the third year we've been gathering together. And this guy starts again. My boss is terrible. I'm doing this. He's just a, a jerk and he treats me badly and blah, 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 and yada, yada. And he's just going on. Now remember, these guys cut no quarter. So we're sitting in a car. We were actually headed to a golf course. We would always make sure there was a long drive so we could do this stuff. So we're headed to this golf course that day. And we're going to tear that thing up too because we're all terrible. But on our way, he says this. And one of the guys said, this is the third time you've said that to us. Every boss you've had for the last three years was horrible. And you are a super employee. And then somebody else said, you know what all your bosses have in common? You. And it was just about like that. It was no, you It wasn't dainty. It wasn't careful. It was guys talking to guys. And literally, it was finger-pointing you. And he got just, like, flushed immediately. And he kind of looked around the car looking for some ally, and he had none. Now, this is like a minivan. There's six or seven of us. Everybody now says, yeah, I've been thinking the same thing about you. As a matter of fact, maybe it's your problem. Maybe you're a crummy employee. We know You don't work for us, so we don't know. We know you as a pretty good guy. How come you're not a pretty good guy at work? And it just got worse. It went on for like 20 minutes. But by the time we were done, he was ready to at least think about this possibility. <laughs> Today, that guy is in a very important job with a lot of responsibility. He quit having terrible bosses immediately after that. Sometimes you just need somebody in the boat with you who's rowing in your direction, who's going to speak honestly into what's happening, who's going to tell you you're creating your own wind here. But you might just need somebody in the boat pulling for you, even if it's difficult. Don't surrender to the wind. Right now, there's a really big wind of fear blowing through our world. I mean, it's a gale force wind of fear. And I'm not saying be foolish. But I am saying that the CDC keeps giving the same recommendations over and over again. And they're not out of reach to you. 
the CDC says, if you're around somebody who's sick, make some room. Back it up. And as soon as possible, leave. They're saying, wash your hands. Now, gentlemen, I don't know about you ladies, okay? Gentlemen, I've been in the bathroom with a lot of men. Some of you dudes leave with dry hands. Stop that. You should stop that anyway because it's gross. But you should especially stop it right now. Look, wash your hands. It's not that hard. It's this. Under the soap, 20 seconds. If you don't know, sing happy birthday to yourself a couple of times. You'll get this right. Wash between your fingers and your fingernails. Dry them. Don't use the air drying thing. It just concentrates the bacteria. If you're in a place where they refuse to give you something to wipe your hands on, go grab some napkins. Wipe on their napkins. I'm serious about that. Ladies, I assume that you guys are way above us. And you probably already do this all the time. Gentlemen and ladies, if you are needing this information, wash your hands. CDC's biggest recommendation It is not go buy a hazmat suit. It is wash your hands. You want to push against this wind, this wind of fear in our world? Wash your hands. Stay away from sick people. If you get sick, stay home. I mean, this is not rocket science. I watched an entire TED Talk on frightening, 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 frightening things. And at the end of this TED Talk, do you know what she said? Wash your hands. I'm like, well, why did you scare me for the last 15 minutes? You could have gotten to that right at the beginning. Push back against fear. Because if you succumb to fear, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying be dumb. But I'm saying don't run around being afraid. Believers, who are afraid are of very little help to a world who has reason to be afraid. Live the difference. Live your difference. Live differently in this world. Don't surrender to the wind. Number two. The disciples see Jesus coming. It's the middle of the night. They've been rowing for hours. They're in the middle of the lake, according to the scriptures. They should have gotten across this lake in a couple hours. This wind is stiff enough that they're not making progress. It's every time they take a stroke, they seem to be just be paddling in a circle. All they're doing is making waves, making suds, making stuff out. They're not making any progress. And help shows up just before dawn. Jesus shows up just before dawn. And what do they do? They think he's a ghost. Apparently, they have not read the Old Testament scriptures in a while. Because there are no such things as ghosts. There's evil in the world. There are demonic forces. The devil does all kinds of wild stuff. But your granny is not talking to you. Your great-uncle Harry is not talking to you. And oh, by the way, 
Why is it that everybody thinks that once you die, you get smart? Your great uncle Harry died of a, of a heart attack from smoking and drinking too much. And he was one of the dumbest people you've ever met. And now you want to go talk to him because he got smart when he died. This is not so. Demonic things are real. Don't play around in this arena. There's no such thing as a ghost. The Old Testament scripture says that when you die, you have no, zero, no, yet, nada, no interaction with the living. None. So if there are chains rattling around in your attic, you need somebody to come and cast out demons, not get rid of Uncle Harry. Seriously. Okay? And here are the 12 disciples. These are the guys who are going to share the word with the rest of the world. And Jesus shows up. Help shows up and they're afraid. Help shows up and they're afraid of the help. It is entirely irrational. So here's the piece I want to I lean into a little bit. It's easy to multiply fear in your mind. Right? It's easy to multiply fear in your own mind. We get inside our own head. You know how this works, right? Uh, and a spiral of thoughts starts. It doesn't have to start with anything significant. It can start with, did I remember to wash my hands? I know the pastor said, wash your hands. And that CDC lady keeps saying, wash your hands. Did I remember to wash? Oh, I touched my head. Oh, I touched my nose. And pretty soon you start to spiral. Right? And those thoughts start to get out of control. And those thoughts start to get irrational. And pretty soon you're going to die right here in the next 15 minutes. You can recapture a thought spiral. Did you hear what I just said? You can recapture a thought spiral. One of the simplest ways is to simply, simply lean back into faith. Lean back towards Jesus. Lean back in and take Scripture back to your heart. Lean back into the things you know are true. There was a man named Abraham, and he believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed God so much and so thoroughly that he had faith in God even to take his own son up and and consider sacrificing him. He didn't necessarily have to do it because God stopped him from doing it. There was a guy named David, and he he wasn't facing a virus. He was facing a nine-foot male with a giant sword. And he said, hey, you think you're all cool, and you come to me with your sword and, oh, you're a big, scary boogeyman, but I come to you in the name of the only living God on the planet. Let me in my rock show you what to do. Yeah, you just come a little closer. I'm better at close range. Who won? When that thought spiral starts for you, start to find some anchors in truth. Break it. Lean back into the things you know of God. Lean back into what you know of God. Now in this irrational moment, do you remember what Jesus does? The disciples are ready to abandon ship because they're scared. Somebody, some, the rescuer has come and they're afraid. Whew, there's a whole sermon there to take me another hour, but we'll just let you take that one home with you. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's me. 
don't be afraid. I have arrived. Don't be afraid. I saw that you guys were struggling against the wind this whole time. And you know what I'm coming to do, guys? I'm coming to get in the boat with you. I'm going to get in your boat and help you get across the lake. Because I can see it's been hard for you. When irrational fears start that spiral for you, can you remember this thing? Can you remember this idea? Can you remember that Jesus is willing to get into the boat you're rowing? When no matter what it is, and no matter how long you've been at it, some of you folks, some of us folks, have long-term relationships with sin. You know what I mean. We have some favorite that's been dogging us our whole life, and we've just been living in that thing and struggling through that thing. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry. I'm here. I'll get in the boat with you if you'd like. I'll help you if you'd like. Man, most of our society thinks that's a boast. And you know who you are? In that scenario, you're the person who gets to stop their spiral. You get to share some of the faith you know to be true with them. You get to say to them, hey, I I get it. I understand. I've had this spiral in my own head. But I'm telling you, there was a guy named Noah. When the whole world was falling apart, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know what that means, right? It means that he didn't actually have grace or he didn't actually deserve grace in his own right. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord God accepted him because he was willing to trust God. If you could tell your neighbor, you could do that. This is a great time to make a call to somebody who you know is scared. This is a great time to reach out to your family members, especially if you haven't heard from them in a while. This is a great time to kind of look around in here and say, who's not here today? That's pretty easy because a lot of folks are not here today. But just make a mental note to call them. See how they're doing. Encourage them, pray with them. And I know that last part's scary, right? We preachers do it all the time. It's the way preachers get off the phone, right? You you know, that's right, right? It's like your dentist when he goes, and okay, that means he's done. Your preacher says, let's pray, that means he's done. Or she, in both cases. Right? But you can pray with people. There's no license required. Just faith and opportunity. And the reality is opportunity will actually produce faith. So call someone, talk to them, encourage them. The world is going a little wild right now and is creating a lot of fear. So step into it with them. Offer to get in the boat. Jesus stops the irrational fear by identifying himself in the night. Identifying himself in the midst of their night, Jesus stops it. If you're in your night, he's you're headed your way. And he's offering to get in the boat. Don't freak out. Let him in. Let him in. I love Peter's response in all of the twelve. This is an interesting sort of pulpit looking thing. Peter now shows why he's the leader of this group. Think about it. 
there's 12 guys in this boat. One guy has the courage to say, if it's you, <laughs> which is still one of my favorite lines in scripture, if it's actually you, call me. If it's really you, tell me to come. Be the guy, be the person who sees Jesus instead of the ghost. Be the person who sees the direction a person should go to move away from fear. You have the authority in this world. Live the difference that is really who you are as a believer. Do you know what I mean by that? As a believer, the difference in you is that God indwells. The difference in you is that you have the authority of heaven on your side. The difference in you is that you've seen Jesus act. The difference is that you have something that will help. Be the person who sees Jesus. Now Peter shouts back across the darkness, If it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I've got, I, I told you, I have, I have great imaginary pictures of this thing. I'm going to ask Jesus to roll a tape so I can actually see it. Because I, I literally, I have a full-on picture of what happens next in my head. But one thing we know for sure is the man gets out of the boat in the dark. He sees Jesus, not the ghost. And he gets out. Hops out of the boat. And lets his faith beat his fear. Every one of you know what this means. Because every one of you has come up against some fear God has challenged you to move through. Not to move into, not to embrace, not to put your arms around. But he has challenged you at some point in your life to move through some fear and get to the other side. He's probably doing that right now because he does it to me all the time. Every time I come up against something, he pushes on me. He calls me. He says, all right, yes, it's me. Get out of the boat. Come on. Come on, you can do it. Get out of the boat. And I'm like, it's safe in the boat. Are you? I got friends in the boat. There's fellowship in the boat. I know I'm going to go backwards if I stop rowing. I know I've been killing myself all night. But it's scary outside the boat. And he says, come on. You will never know what it's like to walk on the water unless you get out of that boat. Don't let your faith beat your fear. Or let your faith beat your fear. Don't let your fear beat your faith. It's, once you do that, you're, you're lost now. Recognize that you have a history with God. Recognize that you've done things with Him before. He doesn't ask you to jump out of the boat the first day. He asks you to step just a little at a time. He moves you gently along as your faith grows. The challenges grow. It's like spiritual working out. You get stronger over time. And you know who are the strongest typically? You pick the oldest saint in the church. They're usually like Miss Universe of the church. Because they've been lifting the weight of fear and overcoming it with faith for a generation. When God challenges you to, to the things you were afraid of, just remember you're never going to learn how to walk on the water 
in the boat. Let your faith and your experience with him get you out of that boat. Boy, I'm talking to you guys. I can see it in some of your faces. Some of you folks are like, I'm not sure I should have come today. (laughs) This is where the rubber meets the road in your spiritual life. When you bail on Jesus in this moment, you know the measure of your faith. Right? When you bail on God in this moment when your fear is really getting you, you know the measure of your faith. Lord God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up that thing. I don't want to take on that issue. I don't want to I want to I don't want to move into that calling. I don't want to get into that ministry. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to you start sounding like a nine-year-old. <laughs> Think about it. If he's challenging you and you say no, that's the measure of your faith. That's where you live. Right? And you know how faith grows, right? It grows on the yeses. Faith grows on the yeses. When you say yes to him and he takes you to that next level, you know what happens then is your faith gets bigger. Your faith grows. Some of you are on the simple levels of these decisions. Some of you are on the decision of whether or not you're going to follow Jesus, whether whether or not you're going to give your heart fully to him. You've been playing around the edges of faith for a long time. It's time to get on with it. Some of you have been in faith for a long time, but you're brushing up against something. Something is torturing you, and it may be your favorite sin. And he's dragging you up to that every day and showing you in the mirror, this is where you need to change. This is where your faith is. That a simple yes will take you from here to here. It might take you from here to here. I mean, I thought about this story. Do you think when Peter is down there at Jairus' house after the resurrection... It's been a while now. Jesus has passed. He's been crucified. He's been raised. Peter's seen some miraculous thing happen that he never knew he could do. People are being healed by Peter. Peter is calling for people who are crippled to get up and walk, and it's happening. In just a few days, Peter will raise a woman from the dead. Do you think Peter went out to the edges of the Mediterranean one day and went, hmm, looked around a little, you just don't want to look foolish. No one ever wants to look foolish. Put your foot down. I would have tried that thing again. I would have tried it again and again and again and again. Don't let the fear of failure or the fear of circumstance stop you. Say yes. Last thing. This is the one you've been looking for. When you come to someone and you're trying to live the difference into their life, when you're trying to say to somebody, you know how I'm dealing with the coronavirus? I'm washing my hands. I'm staying away from sick people. And I've made a promise to myself and everybody I know that if I get sick, I'm staying home. And you know the real thing that's behind this? I trust Jesus. 
my God is real. And my experience has proven it to me. And tell them your story. If this is the first time for a person, don't give them the whole story. Just a bit. Just something that would encourage them. If we don't live a different life, a life of faith in a world of fear, we are useless to this world. And here's a bunch of people going to heaven who are having no impact on anyone else. Yes, you're covered by His grace. You believe in Jesus and you're bound for heaven. But you're useless unless that faith is being shined forward in someone else's experience. You don't have to go knocking on doors. The person in the next cubicle is probably just fine with that. God brought them in and sat them down next to you for a reason. He's been waiting for the last three years for you to say something. Say something. Be something. Do something. You have the greatest opportunity that we've had in decades right now to say, I'm not afraid. I'm not really afraid. I wash my hands because that's just good sense. If I see somebody choking and snarling and spewing all over everything, I back up because that's good sense. But I'm not afraid. What could death do to me? The next thing I see is Jesus. That's not so scary. You know, by by the way, the Bible says it's like sleeping, so I'm not really worried about that either. I mean, the process from here to there might be miserable, but once you're there, the next thing is Jesus. You and I have the opportunity to live differently. You and I have the opportunity to make a difference simply by living in the faith Father God, this is a it's a place in time that is a little weird. It's easy for me to just feel a little overwhelmed by people's reactions. I confess that to you today. It's keeping me from being sympathetic. I ask for the heart that knows these people not as just sheep but as sons and daughters of the living God. I ask for a heart of compassion. I ask for a heart of mercy. I ask it for me And I ask it for all of us. Call us to our faith. Call us out of the boat. And give us the strength to make that first step. In Jesus' name.